up, Liquid Church? Great to see you guys. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim. Glad you're here for a series, Seven Churches of Revelation. Today we're on church number four, the Church of Thyatira. If you're just joining us, we're kind of smack dab in the center of this series. We're kind of studying the last book of the Bible, uh, Revelation, in which the crucified and resurrected Jesus, he actually dictates seven letters to seven churches and seven congregations uh, in these ancient cities. You can actually visit these today, just to orient you. This is in modern Turkey, along the Aegean coast there. And back in the day, this was known as the Roman province of Asia. And the Jesus movement was brand new. This was like the, the second generation. And so these seven churches receive letters from Jesus. So this is the resurrected, glorified Jesus in heaven. He appears to the apostle John. He says, I want you to write down these seven letters. Now, the number seven, just so you know, is symbolic. In Revelation, number seven means complete or whole or perfect. So these aren't like letters just like seven old school churches back in the day. These are letters, the words of Jesus to his church from all time, all churches everywhere, and they actually have great relevance for today. Now, we're going to look at number four, letter number four today, the words of Jesus to the church at the city of Thyatira. Can you say that? Thyatira, yeah. You'll find this on page 23 of your group's guide if you're following along. And a quick, uh, just quick heads up to parents. Uh, in today's letter, Jesus tackles the touchy subject of sex. So lucky me. Uh, you know, John Ortberg says um, there are three subjects that young people love to talk about in church. The first is sex. The second is the end times. And the third is Will there be sex in the end times? So today, you get all three. Buckle up, all right? Uh, this is the longest of all seven letters. Uh, it's also the most challenging. I, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, guys. This is, this is hard stuff. You'll, you'll see. That was like the last joke you're going to get today, because this is hard stuff. Uh, if you remember... Um, when we started the series, I said, hey, read ahead. Read Revelation 1 through 3, and don't get weirded out because there are going to be words in there that will be challenging to you. There's going to be things in there that are confusing to you, and then there are going to be words in there that, like, freak you out, okay? And a lot of people read the words here to Thyatira, and they shake their head, and they wonder, like, what, what does this have to do with me? So let's imagine for a minute you're, you're just an average guy or, or woman. You get up early. And you're like, okay, this week I'm going to do my first 15. You're, you're establishing a new discipline. You're going to spend the first 15 minutes of your day with God. And so uh, you get your group's guide. You find a comfy chair. You're like, Pastor Tim had a comfy chair. I got a comfy chair. And you sit down and you're like, okay, oh, and I forgot something. I'm in my 40s now, so let me get my reading glasses out. And you put on your reading glasses. You get your coffee. And you're like, I want to read this before I go to work. So that like my mind and my thoughts are kind of, you know, shaped by God's word today. So you open up your guide and you're like, okay, I'm going to read this. Revelation 2, verse 18. Uh, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And you're like, all right, that's, wow, that's, that's intense. All right. Uh, I know your deeds, your love and faith and service, and perseverance, and you think, okay, hey, so good so far, right? A letter from Jesus, these are pretty positive qualities here, uh, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. So you're like, that's, that's cool, you know, sounds like a growing church, growing ministry, but then you get to verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you, you, 
you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. And you're like, who's, who's Jezebel? That's, I don't, I've never heard of her. So you take out your phone and uh, you're like, Siri, who is Jezebel? And you quick Google it, search, and this is what comes up on your phone. You're like, okay. That's literally the first return. I, t- I Googled who's Jezebel. That's what came up. You're like, okay, Lady Gaga, all right. Um, by her teaching, she, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. Gosh, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I'll strike her children dead. What this is, this is pretty harsh. Then all the churches will know that, that I'm he who searches hearts and minds, and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. And you stop, and you take off your glasses, and you think, uh, this doesn't sound very Jesus-y. And in fact, this is exactly why I bailed on the church 15 years ago. Because this sounds like that Old Testament lightning bolt God. The, the angry God who's waiting for you to mess up and step out of line and he like kind of smacks you. And, and you're torn a little bit because you're like, you know, I started coming to Liquid and I heard about the grace of God. The, the love and the mercy of this God who is our father and, and how Jesus loves us and, and embraces us. But this, this sounds different. This is different than that. This sounds more like the vindictive God of the Old Testament who you step out of line and he'll, he'll zap you. So before you had it at work, you say, you know what, what's happening here? And what does this have to do with me living in 2017? See, guys, this is the riddle of Revelation. How do you take words that were written 2,000 years ago to a, a different culture, decode what's going on so that it makes sense for us today in the chair? How do, you, how do you reconcile the picture of Jesus in the Gospels who is tender and loving and accepting with the Jesus of Revelation who seems more firm and like, like judging, kind of a disciplinarian? Well, first, you've got to go back to Thyatira. So before we get back here, let's take a trip there. Let's see what's going on well and what's not working and then how this applies to our life today. First thing you should just know, a little background, Thyatira was a trade city. I want you to imagine Route 22. That'll help you get it in your mind, all right? Um, To help you imagine it, you might think of a modern-day city, for instance, like Ephesus, right? It was a big cosmopolitan city on the coast, so we're like, it's kind of like L.A. or or New York. For Pergamum, Nathan talked about it last week, you could think of Chicago or Washington, D.C. It's got all those marble monuments, political power. What city would correspond to Thyatira today? I want you to get in your mind, envision Flint, Michigan. Wah, 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 underwhelming, okay? Thyatira was a blue-collar town. It was a labor town. They just, they built stuff there. It was a pasture. It's actually sandwiched between Pergamum and Smyrna, and it was not pretty, and you didn't go there on your honeymoon, okay? Nobody said, hey, let's go to Thyatira for vacation, okay? Of the seven cities in Revelation, Thyatira is the smallest, and it's the least important. There's no architectural marvels there. It was a trade city made up of trade guilds. Trade guilds were just kind of like labor unions. For example, if you were a bronze worker, Thyatira was known for its bronze, 
you would join the Bronze Guild, where all the, all the bronze workers lived together. Their families lived in the same bronze part of the, the city. They all worked in the same bronze shop. They all worshipped at the same bronze shrine or temple. So life in Thyatira revolved around these trade guilds. Now watch. Put that in your pocket, that detail. We're going to get back to that. But start here at the letter. Verse 18. Jesus says, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. So again, this is Jesus winking, giving a little detail about the city. Thyatira was known for producing these gleaming bronze weapons that were known throughout the region. They kind of gleamed like gold. But notice something else here. Very unique, and you can circle this in your notes. This is the only time that Jesus refers to himself as the son of, what's this word? God. All other times in Revelation, he's called the son of man, which describes his humanity. How Jesus left heaven, came down to earth, become one of us. But here, he's referred to as the son of God, which describes his deity. So this is a phrase, by the way, that that makes Christianity unique. This is a phrase that uh, Judaism and Islam trip over because they understand what it means. It's saying that Jesus is God. The Son of God is equal to God the Father. So Jesus is the creator. He rules. He reigns over heaven and earth. And so we better lean in and listen to what he says. And at first, he gives some good news. Look at verse 19. He says, I know. He always starts with that, right? I know what's going on. I know your deeds, your love and your faith and your service, your perseverance, and you're now doing more than you did at first. Have you noticed Jesus always starts his letters with a compliment? right? This is a pretty sweet one. I mean, honestly, let's say you got, you moved to Thyatira, okay? Like for a job, you're like, oh, honey, we're relocating to Flint, Michigan, you know? (laughs) And you probably, first thing you do is you take out your phone and you Google, okay, local Christian church, and you're scrolling through it, and up comes a Yelp review, and it says, okay, church, church in Thyatira, people are, they're loving, honey, they're very loving people, uh, they're full of faith. They love to serve. They serve their community. They, uh, they persevere under pressure. They're doing more. It's growing. That's, that's all. You'd want to go to this church. I would want to go to this church. It's interesting. Thyatira was a small city. So this was a small church. But notice the smallest church gets the longest letter from the Lord, which tells us something. Small churches matter to Jesus. Amen? Amen. He sees the faithful saints huddled in a basement behind locked doors in North Korea. He sees a small, you know, tribe of Christians on a remote Indonesian island. And let me be very clear about this. Jesus does not favor the megachurches of the world. So don't ever mistake size for strength. Though they get a lot of the publicity, by and large, the work of Jesus goes forward in churches of less than 100 people. He says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service. You're doing more than you did at first. So this church is actually growing in influence, growing in size. They're doing more and more. These guys are getting better and better. So Jesus' letter is very encouraging to start. I was reading it this week, and I was like, man, I'd like to think that the Lord might give a, a letter like this to Liquid Church, you know? If he's like, okay, to the church at, you know, at New Jersey, New Jersey, <laughs> to the campus in Somerset County, you know, your night to shine for families with special needs, awesome job, guys. You're doing more than you did at first. Church, you had five uh, proms for families with special needs close to my heart. Essex County, I saw the meals you made at Christmas, you know, for the homeless people, feeding the hungry in my name. Great job, guys. Union County, I know your small groups are going. You're serving on the relief bus more and more than you did at first. That is awesome. I see your love and your service. Keep it up. That's the compliment. The Lord applauds Thyatira that they're making progress spiritually. They're advancing the gospel in an unlikely place. In a lot of ways, this is the most effective of the four churches we've looked at which is what makes Christ's correction all the more painful to read. Verse 20, 
Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So somehow, in the middle of all this impact, there's this ungodly influence in the church. A woman named, what's her name? Jezebel. Now, I showed you that earlier, right? If you Google, who is Jezebel, this is literally what the search results are going to give you. This is a magazine named Jezebel, Atlanta Luxury Living Magazine. Okay, that's quite a name for a, for a magazine here. Um, let me be super clear, though. Lady Gaga is not Jezebel, okay? So who was she? Most likely, she was not a, not a real, she was a real person, but Jezebel was not her real name. Jezebel is a symbolic name. It's like calling somebody a Judas, so like if you, call, if you say, oh, he's such a Benedict Arnold, you mean he's a traitor. So if you say, oh, she's a Jezebel, it means she's controlling and manipulative, and she's very seductive, and she is out to destroy you. Think about it. Do you know anybody named Jezebel? Okay? This is not a trending baby name. Okay? <laughs> Historically, there was a woman named Jezebel, but you have to flick back to the Old Testament book of Kings. She was actually a queen. She was the wicked wife of King Ahab of Israel. So as a queen, she had political power, she had spiritual influence, and she had financial means. And basically, Jezebel, I'll just say, I'll summarize it for you. Jezebel outlawed worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. She actually said, kill all the priests of God in the land. So she and Elijah got in this whole fight. And she introduced a new religion, an alternative spirituality called Baal worship. And the priests of Baal were sexual perverts. With Jezebel's blessing, they introduced orgies into pagan worship. So you went to the temple, they actually had prostitutes. And what's worse, worship of Baal and Moloch included child sacrifice, like you can see in this, this etching here. Because there was so much promiscuity, there were unwanted pregnancies, and they said, that's okay, Baal actually wants your children, so you can just throw them in the fire. So this is the first mass abortion in the Bible. This is dark stuff, you understand? This is demented stuff. This is demonic idolatry. And Jezebel was the driving force behind it. In 2 King 9, she is judged very severely for her sin. You can read it when you get home. She's thrown out of a window, trampled by horses, and eaten by dogs. You understand why nobody's named Jezebel. This is a placeholder for evil influence. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. By her teaching, she misleads my prophets, her servants, into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Okay, let's go back to the trade guilds. Get it out of your pocket. Remember I said trade guilds were important? In Thyatira, every guild had a Greek god or goddess associated with it, like Apollo, who you see here. So being part of the guild meant that you went to that shrine or temple, you bowed down to that idol, and you prayed, oh, Apollo, bless my bronze work. Would you help our business make money? And after you worshiped the god at your shrine, you would actually go have a dinner party with the rest of the guild workers, and they would eat the meat that was sacrificed to the guild idol, and then they would drink heavily. I mean, really heavily doing the research for this, trade guilds, one commentator said, were basically a cross between a labor union and a frat house. And historically, guild parties often turned into the kind of full-blown debauchery where members got drunk, and then they hooked up with people who were not their spouses. After dinner, the guilds would bring in young men and women who were slaves, and guild members could have their way with them sexually. This is a Greek fresco from that area. So 
you could swap partners. They would bring in prostitutes, hetero, homo, made no difference, sex with strangers. That was just like part of everyday life in Thyatira if you worked there, which created a crisis for Christians, right? As followers of Jesus, they were committed to sexual purity, to, to, to sex within the covenant of marriage that Jesus himself affirmed. See, as moderns, we tend to complicate sex, but Jesus had like a very simple sexual ethic. In Matthew 19, Jesus said this. He said, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his what? What's the word there? Wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. How many of you heard that at a wedding? Heard that read at a wedding, right? So Jesus, the preacher, goes all the way back to Genesis to affirm sex within marriage as God's intended design for human flourishing. So we don't have to, like, feel awkward. God is not prude about sex. He's like, I invented it for procreation. I gave it to you as a gift for pleasure. It married heterosexual sex. It's God's great gift to his people. But Jesus is like, so sex with anyone who's not your husband or your wife, that's sin. So Jesus didn't talk a lot about it, but he had a very simple sexual ethic, and this created a problem for Christ followers in Thyatira. Because they're like, if we refuse to take part in the feast and the fornication, we're going to get kicked out of the guild, and I'm going to lose my job, and I'm going to lose my livelihood, I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to suffer financially, I'm going to be a social outcast. You understand? You couldn't, in Thyatira, you couldn't say like, well, I want to be in the guild, but I'm going to skip the idolatry and the immorality part. That didn't fly. Enter Jezebel, a woman who entered the church and introduced a new teaching. Jezebel taught that pagan temple practices, she said, no problem for Christians. You can have both. You can have faith in Christ and fornicate with strangers. You could have both. Isn't that convenient? Jesus says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who misleads my servants in sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. In other words, a woman entered the church and she went up to the pastors and she said to the pastors, she said, why are you guys so old fashioned? You guys are like prudes about, you're so like uptight about sex. I have new knowledge. I am sexually progressive. I'm spiritually progressive. Guys, you can worship Jesus and you can do whatever you want. They're not incompatible. You Christians use wine for communion. We use it to party. What's the big deal? Okay. Man, woman, 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 man, boy, who cares? It's personal preference. That's Jezebel. So this would be like in our day, you know, someone comes into church and says, well, you know what? I mean, why are you guys so old-fashioned about sex? You can be a faithful Christian and hook up with friends in college. You, You could be a Christian and you could have an affair. People do this all the time. They have a little something on the side besides your marriage. Everybody does it. In fact, you could be a Christian, have an open marriage. This is the 90s, okay? Not like... 90 AD, 1990s, right? He's, he's like, it could be like, hey, you could be a Christian couple and live together without being married and enjoy all the benefits of marriage, but none of the commitment. You could be a Christian and a practicing homosexual and be a practicing Christian. You could be a practicing Christian, but also practicing looking at pornography. And Jesus says this, I have this against you. You tolerate this woman Jezebel. What's the problem according to Jesus? With the church in Thyatira, apparently the Christians were more tolerant than Christ himself. 
this is a, whoa, I did not want to give this sermon today. I'm serious. I mean, this is heavy stuff. This is a sensitive issue. In fact, let me, let me ask a loaded question. Ready for a loaded question? Are you a tolerant Christian? Are you a tolerant Christian? By the way, if you're visiting or like you're a first-time guest, first off, wow, heck of a Sunday to visit. I get, I get that, okay? I get that. I'm not talking to you. I'm not t- this is Jesus writing to his church, okay? So if you're not like a Christian or you're not sure if you believe the Bible, good news. You get to just kind of like listen in uh, to how Jesus is making our life difficult, okay? So I'm talking out of Christ followers who are part of this church, and here's my question. Are you a tolerant Christian? How many would say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm tolerant, I'm, I'm open, okay? I'm, I'm diverse, I'm progressive, okay, all right? How many would say, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not, nobody is participating. I knew it. <laughs> I knew that one was going to rest. Okay, just play along in your head. Uh, how many would say, well, I, I'm not, but I'm not intolerant. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a cello. I don't believe anything goes. I, I, I have convictions about the Bible, but I'm also not a hater. I'm not, you know, I'm not narrow-minded. How many would say, are you a tolerant Christian? You're like, ah, I don't know what the right answer is here. Guys, this is the question our culture is asking right now. Is Christianity a tolerant faith? And are Christians tolerant people? See, as Christians who hold a high view of Scripture, in other words, we actually believe the Bible is the literal word of God, this puts us in a tough spot. So when someone says, are you a tolerant Christian, understand something. In our culture today, 2017, America, New Jersey, East Coast, tolerance is the number one celebrated virtue. More and more in America, if you don't hold an open, tolerant view, which means you agree with, support, affirm, and embrace everyone and everything, then you're a bigot. You're bigoted. You're prejudiced. You're discriminatory. You have committed the great cultural sin of the 21st century. You're intolerant. You're not progressive. You're evolved. You're primitive. You're like two steps back on the evolutionary chart. You're the guy with the sloped forehead dragging a club. (laughs) That's how the culture right now, listen, sees Christians who hold to the simple sexual ethic of Jesus. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just just calling out the truth. See, sexual tolerance is not a new issue. It happens here in 90 AD. The problem is, is that over the last 20 years, our lifetime, that word tolerant has changed its meaning. Tolerant used to mean you know, I may disagree with you, but I'm going to treat you with respect. We, we actually may disagree, but I love you anyway. That's, that's what tolerant actually means. For instance, I have gay friends who I love, who I respect. We, they're hilarious. We have uh, dinner together. We have a great time, and they don't feel judged when they hang out with me. They disagree with the Bible. They may disagree with me, but it's fine. I'm called to love and accept them like Jesus does, and I genuinely do. Right? I got friends who are living together without being married. I have other friends who are struggling with porn. And I have compassion for them. I try to help. I don't judge them. I have my own struggles. I I love them. I accept them as is. But I don't approve of everything they do. See, watch. This is a big deal. There's a big difference between acceptance and approval. Acceptance means you show love and respect to everyone, even those you disagree with, because they're made in God's image. And they're worthy of unconditional love. But today, people think tolerant means you must unconditionally approve of everything I do. That's not acceptance. That's approval. You understand? 
Jesus accepted everybody. No matter who they were, what they did, what they believed, Christ loved and welcomed and embraced them, and so does our church. Because we're, we're the church of Jesus. We're going to do what he did. But watch, Jesus didn't approve of everything they did, or that you do, or that I do, or anybody else does either. So understand, as a follower of Christ, watch, you're called to be accepting without being approving. This is a key distinction. Can you and I have compassion without compromise? Can you say that with me? Compassion without compromise. See, people think the culture is going to say the opposite of tolerance is intolerance. You're an intolerant bigot, but it's not. It's compassion. You have a heart without compromising the truth. Understand? As, as, as Christians, Jesus says, I want you to accept every single person. Did I stutter? Accept everybody. Single, married, divorced, married again, accept them. Gay, straight, bi, accept them. Jesus died for every single one, amen? God loves every single one, amen? He has compassion for every single one, amen? That's the good news. But here's the hard news. God doesn't approve of everything you do, like the world does. The world tolerates anything. The world is hostile to the idea of holiness, that we're to live differently than the world. That as our creator and our savior, that actually God alone reserves the right to set the standard for sex, not us and not the world. Who does the church belong to, the world or Jesus? Jesus. We're the kingdom community. He, he says, I want you to live counterculture so people see something's different and you reflect my glory and my faithfulness. So understand I accept anybody, but I won't tolerate compromise in my house. That's what he's saying in Revelation. He rebukes the Thyatiran church for being tolerant. They were approving, practicing, celebrating sin, and his exact words were, you tolerate. And some of you, your head just exploded. You're like, what? You're telling me Jesus doesn't want us to be tolerant? How could that be? He says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who misleads my servants into what? Sexual immorality. You're not going to hear this term on cable news, okay? Why? Sexual immorality sounds like a pretty harsh term. That's why you don't hear it anymore. You're going to hear it soft-pedaled. You're going to hear phrases like sexual experimentation or alternative lifestyle because it sounds softer. Alternative lifestyle sounds like, well, I don't know, you know, chicken, meat, or fish. I don't know. There's so many alternatives out there. I don't Sexual immorality is harder, isn't it? It's harder to swallow. It's black and white. It goes from being this like menu of options that I get to pick from my personal preference to Jesus like, no, there's actually obedience and disobedience. Jezebel said, hey, guys, no, 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 no. You guys, Thyatira, you guys, pick from the menu, whatever you like. And Jesus is like, no, obeying me is not both and, it's either or. Do you understand why they killed Jesus? And why were he here in preaching today in America, we'd kill him again. Yes, we accept anyone in Jesus' church. But Jesus won't tolerate compromise. And the truth is, it's a sin for Christians to be more tolerant than their Christ. Can, can I be honest? I didn't want to preach this message today. I didn't. Usually on like Saturdays, Colleen will tell you like around five o'clock, I'm like, okay, almost game time. Sunday, I can't wait. Preach God's word. I'm going to get excited. I was not excited coming here today. I, I, I don't like this message. 
You know why? Because I don't want to alienate people. I don't want people like, oh, I knew it, you know, he's, he's a bigot and they're narrow-minded, judgmental Christians. And I know how our culture will twist this. And when I outlined this series, I knew what, I knew Thyatira was going to be the toughest letter of all. I was like, Lord, get, let Nithin do it. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'm serious. Just give it to <laughs> But you guys understand. I didn't write the letter. I'm the messenger. I'm the mailman. Jesus wrote the letter. You're his church, and as your pastor, I have to give you his letter. So let's not change the word of God. Let's with the word of God change us. Amen? Yes. That's what we're going to do, all right? Starting with me. Guys, st guys, starting with me. Starting with me. There, guys, there are plenty of things I wish the Bible didn't say. I, I, let me tell you something. As a man... I wish Jesus didn't say, uh, whoever looks at a woman lustfully, it's like committing adultery in the heart. I find that incredibly inconvenient. Okay? It is personally inconvenient. I would prefer that every little fleeting thought I could indulge that brings me pleasure. I find it culturally inconvenient. Because, because it means sometimes I end up looking like a prude that Colleen and I actually get up and walk out of raunchy movies sometimes. Like, that's crap. I just, I sometimes, like, we don't watch everything on HBO or the, the super violent and the super sexy stuff that wins all the awards in the world, okay? We're going to celebrate it tonight because we live in Thyatira. <laughs> I can't watch all that crap because I know I can't have those images in my head and stay close to Christ, you understand? Amen. In college, I used to tolerate everything, <laughs> Let me just ask you that. What, what do you tolerate? What do you tolerate in your media consumption? Back in college, I remember we bought this little box where you could scramble HBO. We lived in an apartment complex, and you could, like, get your neighbor's signal, and you'd unscramble HBO. So could, anybody else? Okay. Oh, my gosh. Look at, that's, you wouldn't participate in that. You're like, oh, yeah, I had the HBO box. It's good. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. But I've had a change of heart because I can't take that stuff into my mind and stay close to Christ. And guess what? That makes other people who tolerate that stuff feel judged. And, 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 I, and I don't want to, you don't want to be branded with a, a label like narrow-minded or bigot because I'm like, I'm not a jerk. I'm a Christian. I have compassion, but I also have convictions. I actually believe the Bible is God's word and that your father in heaven isn't trying to ruin your life. He's not trying to tell you what to do or control you or be uptight. He's like, I'm the creator. I'm your father. I know what's best. I'm trying to spare you pain. I'm trying to spare you pain. So you have to weigh the words of Jesus against your life. So here's a question. Are, is your life more conformed to the culture or to Christ? Is your plumb line like, well, you can see the stuff that you don't tell me. I don't do all that. <laughs> or actually is the plumb line Jesus Christ? Because this world that we live in is under the spell of Jezebel. There's a Jezebel spirit of tolerance in our culture, and it seems very seductive, very progressive, and Jesus says it's actually sin. Guys, I know this is, this is hard. I, oh, I hate this message. I don't mean like I hate it, but I, you know what you know, I, I hate it. I, I was so worried today that I, that I would offend some of you.
But I'm like, we, at Liquid, we, we still believe what Christians have believed for 2,000 years. And though that may offend some of you, our main goal is not to offend Christ. That's our commitment. Grace wins, but truth is relevant. See, I have to deliver the letter. I have to share this with you. Because this week, I, I was like, Jesus says there could be severe consequences. Verse, verse 21, he says, I've, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. Circle that word bed. It actually means couch in the Greek paint, painting that you saw at guild parties. They would lie on these couches or beds, and that's where they would mess around sexually. And so Jesus is like, okay, Jezebel has been fooling around on a regular bed. I'm going to put her in a hospital bed. And I will make those who commit adultery. I don't hear about that much anymore. Fornication. With her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways, and I'll strike her children dead. Probably not her literal children. It probably means all those spiritual followers who hold to that kind of life. And then Jesus says this, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I'll repay each of you according to what? Your deeds. Whoa. Strong words. Strong warning. Strong God. You remember who's speaking? It's Jesus, but this isn't um, milk and cookies Jesus. Right? You see that? This isn't Jesus riding a unicorn and handing out mini muffins. Here's one for you. Here's one for you. This is big Jesus. This is ruling and reigning, and I'm going to return judge Jesus. It's big Jesus. And he's telling his church, I want you to pop up your big boy pants, and I want to talk straight to you. Again, he's asking, do you have ears to hear what I'm saying? Or will my words, they're so tone deaf to the culture that you put your ears over because you care more about your happiness than holiness. Don't shoot the messenger. I am as uncomfortable with this message of confrontation as you are. But I have to deliver it with conviction because we live in a culture of compromise that has no ear for the truth. The world does not tolerate the truth. But the truth is, all religions don't lead to heaven. The truth is, everybody isn't going to heaven. The truth is, we can't live however we want and say, well, it's a matter of personal preference. The truth is, when Jesus returns, he's returning as judge. He says, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Remember the feet? And that day, when you went before the king, he sat on a throne. And so you sat down here, and he rendered the judgment. You bowed down. All you saw were his feet. And they said, this is Jesus speaking, and he's on his throne, and we're looking at his feet, and they're hot, molten, glowing feet of judgment. And he's like, I'm going to stamp out sin in my church because I want a pure bride. Whoa. And his eyes are like blazing fire. They see everything going on. He penetrates hearts and weighs motives. Can I ask to know this, that right now Jesus looks at our church and he says, I see everything. I know everything happening in your life, in Tim's life, in the life of this whole church. Does that encourage you or does that sober you? That sobers me. There's nothing going on in my life that Christ doesn't see into? Guys, this is Jesus, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipotent, all-powerful. It's Judge Jesus. And he's looking into his church and he's saying it is a sin for Christians to be more tolerant than Christ. That's why the Bible tells us over and over and over, 
repent. See what he says here? He says there's going to be judgment unless they repent of their ways. By the way, this is the good news of the message. I'm like, where's the lift? (laughs) I wish I could tell a funny story here. I just recognize, like right now, some of you, you're here and you're like, oh, this feels like a slap in the face or punch in the gut. Or maybe you feel guilt or conviction. This is just hard because in the past, somebody used the Bible to bash you and judge you, but they never gave you the sweet taste of repentance. Repentance is God's gift to the church. This is a gift, guys. This isn't a bad word. Do you know what repent means? It means think differently. Your father in heaven isn't angry. He is not out to condemn you. In fact, the Bible says God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He wants nobody to perish. And the wrath of God on sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross in your place. And when you trust in Jesus, you humble your life, you say, I'm going to live the way you want me to live. He puts his righteousness in you. So now God sees you and treats you as his beloved son, Jesus. In other words, we don't change God, God changes us. And this really comes down to this root issue of authority. Who's going to call the shots in your life? Jesus is like, repent. You need to change how you think. You need to change how you live. Instead of acting all arrogant and progressive, as a lover of God, you need to be humble and obedient and be open to this idea that maybe the way I'm thinking is wrong. Maybe the way I'm living is wrong. Maybe it doesn't matter what the culture celebrates and gives awards to. Maybe even when I live this way and put it on Facebook and all my friends like this and say, you're so, you know, you're so uh, courageous and I'm going thumbs up, it's still wrong. That's repentance. Good news. Christianity starts with tolerance. It welcomes everybody. But then it moves to repentance. Everyone is welcome to change. We can't sit here and look at God and say, God, you're old-fashioned. You're outdated. Because you know what God would say to us? I think Judge Jesus would sit there and say, really? I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am eternal. You're the one who's aging. You're the one who's dying. You're the one who's going to see me in a few years. I don't change. You change. That's hard. Oh, my gosh. That's crushing to me. I just felt that. I don't like this message. I'm sorry. It's humbling. The world is hostile to holiness. And if you choose to live different, guys, I'm just warning you, students, at work, whatever, you will get judged for it. That's what happened to the Christians in Thyatira. When they said, we're not going to compromise, they got judged. They got kicked out of the guilds. They lost their jobs. They lost their homes. And they all of a sudden, persecution. Because the people in the city said, well, we're not going to work with uptight, prudish, intolerant Christians. And so Jesus ends with a word of encouragement to them. I'll end with this. Verse 24, he says, Now I say to the rest of you who do not hold on to our teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to, let's read that together, hold on to what you have until I come. Now, there's what's Jesus' final words to a culture drowning in a sea of compromise? Two words, yeah, same. Hold on. In other words, when your classmates call you a goody two-shoes for not drinking and hooking up, hold on. When your boyfriend threatens to dump you because you won't put out, hold on. 
When your coworkers treat you like a prude because you won't go with them to the strip club on the business trip, hold on, hold on, hold on to what you have until I come. Even if your family says, oh my gosh, she's become a Christian, she's a caveman now. She thinks the Bible's like the literal word of God. Hold on, because the word's eternal. And there's a reward to those who hold on. Jesus says, to the one who's victorious, does my will to the end, I'll give what? Authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter, tash them to pieces like pottery, just as I've received authority from my Father. What's God's promise if you hold on? He says, you'll rule the nations with me. When I come back, I'm going to bring my kingdom, and you I will give authority to because I can trust you. You didn't get in bed with Jezebel, and you took the hit for it. And that means I know you can rule and reign justly with me for all eternity. He says, I will also give that one the morning star. What's the morning star according to Revelation 22? The morning star is Christ himself. So he's like, you not only get the kingdom, you get the king, which makes it all worth it. All the awkwardness that you endure, all the ridicule, all the difficult tension that I feel of loving and accepting people without approving of everything they do will be worth it in the end, Jesus says all of it. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Is Jesus speaking to anybody today? Is Jesus speaking to you? What is he saying to you? What's he saying? How's that for your first 15? God says, your pastor, I want you to hear my heart. My heart was broken this and crushed by it personally because I'm like, where am I tolerating this in my life? In my prayer this morning, I was like, God, just speak to two groups of people. I hope that God is speaking right now and bringing conviction to those who are compromising. So a guy gets out his book, and he sits down for his first 15, and he reads this, and he's like, the Jezebel and the morale and the woods. Oh. And then it dawns on him. Have I been sleeping with the enemy? Have I been in bed with Jezebel? And then the penny drops, and he realizes, I could have Jezebel, or I could have Jesus, but I can't have both. May God's word bring conviction for the compromised. Change your mind. Change your life. Change your life this morning. We're going to close this service with this sweet time of repentance as a church. But right now, God's speaking. He's also offering hope for the hurting. I was so worried that some of you who have hurting hearts, you, have, you, you came in here with guilt and shame for past failures, and we all have them, right? We've all made mistakes. Some of us have great regrets for things, and maybe this whole time I've been speaking, you're like, when is he going to pray so I can run out of here to my car? Just pray. Not so fast. Listen. Sometimes the truth hurts, but God's truth never harms. Never harms. And if you receive it with grace, his truth will heal you. That's what Jesus is offering you today. He says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. So we had people at the last service who came up, who had had abortions, had been involved in affairs, struggling with same-sex attraction, all this different stuff, and they came up, and they left all their guilt and their shame. They walk out of here free. Christ can actually heal your heart. We believe that. We see him do it. See, you're not sitting among people who are perfect. You're sitting among people who are forgiven. That's the difference, you see? He will forgive whatever we have. And he says, I will give you a new heart. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. 
So what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you right now? What word is he speaking to you? Honestly, as I was writing this and praying this morning, I felt like, like God has a word for a couple, you know, in this church. Uh, again, I don't have names or faces. I don't even know if it's at this campus. It might be another campus. But you're living together, and you're not married, and you know what? And God is like, honor me. Honor me. I know all your friends like thumbs up makes sense economically. Honor me and get married. I feel like God is saying to, to, to a man who's, at work, and he's flirting with a coworker, and maybe it's not physical yet, but it's emotional adultery, and God is like, it needs to end now. Before you destroy your family, it needs to end today. Cut it off. Cut it off. I, have a, I think God has a word for someone in our congregation who's struggling with same-sex attraction. He's saying, I don't condemn you. I am not angry at you. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I want you to come home. Come home. Let me wrap you in my big daddy arms and we'll wrestle through this together. I don't know what you're struggling with, but God knows exactly and he's putting his finger on it and he's saying, come and repent. Receive my love anew. And that's what we're going to do right now. So I want everyone to stand on up. I was going to say, if you need to repent, stand up. I'm like, we all need it. Stand up. Yeah? Amen? We all need it, starting with me. I'm first in line. I'm first in line. Put your hands out. Put your hands out. Father God, come Holy Spirit right now. God, we know you've been right now. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You love us enough to tell us the truth. Lord, right now, may your truth set the captives free. Father God, um, we're just, I don't even know what to say, God. I'm just struck in my heart. I live so differently and so bent sometimes towards the world. And then I think about where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. 10,000 years, and then forevermore. God, we're coming back to you. We repent. If you're here today, you need to repent. Let's, let's actually pray these words out loud. Ready? We're going to pray them as one congregation. Jesus, I repent. Forgive me. You are holy. You are perfect. And I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross. That was my sin. Forgive it now. I leave my guilt, my shame, my past with you. Make me new, brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the courage and the strength to follow you all of my days. Father God, right now, I'm praying with hands out. I pray, God, release your spirit, Lord, on people whose hearts have been cut and they've been, they've, we've not only committed sins, we've had sins against us. God, I pray that you'd bring healing right now in those deep cracks. You are a loving father. Lord, I pray right now just for uh, our gay brothers and sisters, families who are wrestling with that right now, Father. May they find this to be one of the safest, most accepting places. But not approving, not, but also not bigoted, just loving. And Lord, we trust you to change us at the end of the day. God, I trust you to change me, change my thoughts, my heart. May we become the church you desire. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. amen. We're now going to close with a song, time of repentance. Our prayer team is here. We got here early. We've been praying for hours because we know God's speaking to you. We've had a sweet time at last service. So as we sing the song, 
I would expect a bunch of you are going to come on down. So if, that, if that's you, just kind of make your way out to the side rows. Come on down. We'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. I'm going to get first in line. I want him to pray for me first. So this isn't like some weird thing like, oh, here come the immoral people. We all need prayer, yeah? So don't make this weird, okay? But lift up your heart to God, open your heart, and come forward for prayer.